Remarkable accomplishments are happening every day on the Colorado Mesa University and Western Colorado Community College campuses, from faculty instruction and research to student projects and community involvement. CMU Now is a new monthly segment on the KAFM Community Affairs Hour, where we interview faculty, athletic coaches, and students to keep you up to date on all things CMU and WCCC. I'm Caitlin Birdsall, along with my co-host David Ludlam, and we'll have two guests on the show today. And our first guest is recent alumna and former CMU Residence Hall assistant, Brooklyn Burr. Welcome to the show, Brooklyn. Hi. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and speak with David and I and let the KFM listeners hear a little bit from you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Great. So why don't we go ahead and just jump jump right in. Um, So you graduated from CMU this past May, and while you were a student, you were really involved in campus life, including both with residence life and the theater program. So can you just tell our listeners maybe a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah. So I was born and raised in Johnstown, Colorado, which is over in the Front Range, and I have always been uh, the leader type, and I've always sought out positions that could help me make a change and have the people's voices heard, and I also was really involved in theater in my community, and I really, really enjoyed that. And so when I graduated high school, I was determined to be a musical theater major and graduate debt-free so that I didn't have to pay more for a degree than it would give me. (laughs) And so CMU really provided everything I could have wanted. I was offered a lot of scholarships to help pay my way, and the theater department here is a hidden gem, and the leadership opportunities on campus are endless. Um, Anywhere from, like you said, I was a resident assistant to a student worker in the vice president's office of student services, and I was president of a club of Mesa Thespian Society and student director of Mesa Out Loud, which is a performing touring group for CMU and the theater department. And so CMU was exactly what I wanted and needed. And I got an ideal education and even better experiences and memories. And I'm just really thankful to have come to CMU and had um, a great experience. You know, I always love getting to talk to students because, you know, you often think they're here, they're, you know, earning their degree, they're in their classes. And then when you hear about all of the extracurricular activities that students are involved in, it literally blows my mind. I mean, you just rattled off about, you know, five, six different organizations that you were involved with. And I just always find that really impressive in our college students. Well, and and speaking of the extracurricular activities, uh, Brooklyn, I was watching back the I Have a Dream commemoration event last year. And I saw your performance of uh, a, a U2 song, and it was just so powerful, and you really are talented. We're, we're lucky to have you. Uh, and I wanted to talk to you about about what your experience has been like more recently. You, I think, have lived on campus all four years, so you've had the opportunity to have that, that traditional campus experience as a university student, but you've also had the experience of what it's been like to be on campus during COVID-19. So you, you, know, you left for spring break um, thinking you're going to come back and experience the end of your, your, your university career in a normal kind of way, but that wasn't what happened. Um, what was it like for you? Tell us, tell us what it was like to be a student on campus during this sort of unprecedented um, pandemic, and, and you know, was there some good things that came out of it for you too? Yeah. Uh, I actually had a trip planned to go to New Orleans during spring break, and I was determined to go. 
Uh, and I think there were a lot of us students who didn't quite grasp how big of a deal this whole thing was until about halfway through break when President Foster sent out that email about the new plans for the semester. And I think that's when it really hit. And so I canceled my trip, and it didn't take long to realize the list of things that were going to be canceled as well and, you know, things that I wanted to do and cherish as I did them for the last time as a senior. And, you know, we had a lot of different events that happened in the spring. And um, so everything changed. And, you know, even the resident assistant position that I'd known for three years changed and to where I couldn't interact in person with my residents. And most of them had moved out before I even returned back from the extended break. So we had a drastic decrease in amount of residents on campus. And so it it was really lonely to have to isolate ourselves and quarantine ourselves and make sure that we maintained um, safety and a healthy environment on campus while also still doing what we do as RAs and facilitating a um, fun environment of living on campus. And so it's been really interesting seeing the ways that residence life has adapted to these changes and making sure that we're maintaining a healthy and safe and fun environment for us to still be able to make the memories that we would have been if COVID was never a thing. So it's been very interesting. And I think the professional staff has done a great job at hitting the ground running on making processes that would make, you know, the checking out process easier and safer where we could do it virtually and They've really done a great job of keeping us resident assistants safe while still doing our job. Perfect. Well, you are listening to CMU Now on KAFM Community Affairs, and our first guest today is recent alumna and former CMU Residence Hall Assistant, Brooklyn Burr. So, Brooklyn, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into your role as a resident assistant. So, you know, we know that's an important job here on campus, let alone during a pandemic that none of us have ever faced before or had to deal with before. But I was wondering how you felt prepared to lead your residents during the end of the spring semester and maybe some of the positive things that ended up coming out of of the changes that were happening due to COVID-19. Yeah, I think it was a lot of figuring out how to guide my residents through this unknown time with all their questions and how I was finding those answers in real time. And, um, you know, even the professional staff was figuring out those answers in real time. And so, you know, it took me three years to realize that a group chat for my floor was the way to go just in general of communication. But then during this time and once COVID hit, it made the virtual communication uh, key and just so much easier that if there was a concern of one of my residents, regardless of if they were back home or still on campus, they could reach out to me. And so I think that that was a huge, uh, you know, advantage of being prepared to lead them through this unknown time and just keeping the spirits up that, you know, it's meant to be this way and we're going to, something better is going to come out of it. And so I think the hardest part for me was not getting the closure that I expected I mean, I didn't really get any real goodbyes to any of my residents or even my fellow grads who are saying goodbye to this campus for good. And to my friends who would be returning next year, you know, there wasn't really the closure of goodbyes that I would have wanted. But 
the good that's coming out of all of this is that I think we're all figuring out new ways to do our processes. And I think that a lot of that is going to stick. And so figuring out ways that we can take advantage of this virtual time and ways that I've done that is I realized that I can hone my skills by there's master classes by these Broadway performers that I never would have had the opportunity to do if they weren't also stuck at home. So, you know, these, these master classes that, you know, I would have had to travel to New York to go take, but now I can literally do it from my home and, you know, I can work on my audition notebook and the tools for whatever comes after. <laughs> and so I think that's some of the good that's coming from a lot of people is they get to kind of explore um, self-exploration of how they can better themselves. And then also how can we better the processes of, of what our daily life is. And I think that that's really cool and something that's really great that is coming out of this whole pandemic. Well, Brooklyn, you, you mentioned saying goodbyes. I hope you actually never get to say goodbye because I want you to continue performing at all of our alumni association events and hope, hope that you stick around for those. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, since you are graduating and and you are saying goodbye in one respect, um, what, what is in the next phase of your life and has, you know, the pandemic or or any, the national crisis that we're experiencing now um, affecting your plans for the future? Yeah, it's made it a little bit more unknown uh, you know, when I came in as a freshman here at CMU, I literally had my four-year plan of every class I would take with every professor, you know, uh, organized by semester. And I had the four-year plan. So then I had my five-year plan and what would happen after graduation. And I think that's the lesson in it for me that um, COVID has has given me is that sometimes we can't really plan to a T like I, I would want to and prefer And so what's kind of cool about this is it's opening up doors that I didn't expect. There's actually, um, hopefully I won't have to say goodbye to CMU just yet. There's some openings that are happening on professional staff across campus that I am going to be applying for. And so uh, a lot of them are short-term positions here. So it's kind of ideal that I can not have to say goodbye to CMU. I can get a little bit more closure And then I can also wait for the theater world to get back on its feet. I have no doubt that theater will be back. And um, it's always bounced back. It's always had its ups and downs. And I have no doubt that it's going to be here to stay. But for the time being, while, you know, people can't really congregate in a theater, it's kind of nice that I am able to explore some other options. So hopefully I'll be able to stay here at CMU, but um, we'll just have our fingers crossed and we'll find out soon enough. So that means that there there is a chance that you're going to be performing at some of our events, at least in the short term. Yes. Good, good, because I, I, I want to hear you sing. To, love to gr- collaborate, for sure. <laughs> he's, got, he's got you saying that publicly. Yep. <laughs> well, great. Well, you are listening to CMU Now on KFM Community Affairs, and our first guest today is recent alumna and former CMU Residence Hall Assistant, Brooklyn Burr. So, Brooklyn, we're already getting to the end of our time today with you, and I think before we let you go today... Um, I know for myself, I've spent a lot of the last couple of weeks and months um, actually reflecting on, you know, myself personally and professionally. I feel like we've all just had a little bit more time with COVID-19 and being stuck at our houses to spend some more time reflecting. So I'm wondering if you could maybe talk to us about maybe one of your fondest memories at CMU and then what excites you most about the future? Yeah, I think 
Oh, a fondest memory is so hard because I feel like I have so many and in so many different departments. <laughs> and uh, but I think my ultimate is all of the leadership opportunities and personal growth that I got in being in Mace Out Loud. And being the student director was a great challenge for me. And performing in general is such a great joy that being able to share my love for performing with the campus at all of our campus events has been such a blessing. And I just am so very grateful for it. And so I think that if I had to choose one, <laughs> I think that it would probably be Mace Out Loud, although there's so many and abundance that even comes to the top of my head when you first ask that. But and and Mace um, Out Loud, I, Brooklyn, Mace Out Loud is is a. Could you tell our listeners what that group is? Yeah, so Mace Out Loud is housed in the theater department, and it's a touring recruiting group for CMU as a campus, but then specifically the theater department. So we essentially are the entertainment troupe for if, uh, you know, there's an event on campus that needs a little bit of uh, entertaining at the beginning of the event or during the event, whatever that may be, that we come and we perform our set. And we even do it around the community. We've done it for, you know, the Parade of Lights and all that. But then we also do tours to high schools to be able to, you know, kind of expose the fact that our CMU theater department is a hidden gem. So many people think of UNC's theater department, and I think that it's very easy to forget us, and I think that that's why we remain a hidden gem, but we do want to still share that with with high schoolers, and that's what Mesa Out Loud allows. So it's really great. I love that. That's, you know, I feel like a really, really great way to end our show today is on a on a high note. Yeah, Pun sure. intended. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you like that? All right. Well, Brooklyn, thank you so much again for taking the time out of your day and for coming on our show. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Well, don't go anywhere because after a short break, we'll be right back with Associate Professor of Economics, Dr. Nathan Perry. Welcome back to CMU Now, a monthly show where we talk about the remarkable work happening at Colorado Mesa University and Western Colorado Community College. We'd like to welcome our second guest today, Associate Professor of Economics, Dr. Nathan Perry. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being with us. And, you know, when I, Dr. Perry, think about your your career, it extends beyond the classroom. I mean, you're involved in the community well beyond, I think, what your teaching requirements would, would require. And, you know, I think about healthcare. You know, professors who maybe do clinical work and it helps keep their skills sharpened. Is that is that the same when you're talking about a, the business department or economics? I mean, does doing the kind of research you do out in the community and being involved in helping the community make economic forecasts, or does that help you in the classroom keep your skills sharp just like it would in a sort of a healthcare discipline? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's a variety of ways you can keep your skills sharp and show that you're at the top of your profession. Uh, a lot of academics like to focus on uh, publishing in academic journals, which I do a lot of actually. But another way that you can stay active so you can enhance the classroom experience is to actually do what you're teaching. And so, you know, I, I like to do both. I like to publish on the academic side, but then I really like uh, getting involved as an actual economist. I love doing regional economic work and forecasting and economic impact reports and just trying to solve some of these problems. You know, the Western Slope, Grand Junction, such an interesting place. It's a place that's really focused on 
economic development and trying to grow and improve everybody's standard of living. And uh, so it's just kind of a, an interesting uh, opportunity for me to apply my skills to a place that I think appreciates them. Great. Well, you are listening to CMU Now on KAFM Community Affairs, and our second guest today is Associate Professor of Economics, Dr. Nathan Perry. Um, so we've talked a little bit about you know what you um, do here outside of CMU within our community, and I know you've completed economic impact assessments for a lot of different local entities like Country Jam, the National Resource Center, the Health Department. I know that you've done work for how natural amenities and trails impact home values in Grand Junction, um, the economic impact and willingness to pay for mountain bike trails. So it kind of spans all different areas and arenas. And I'm wondering if this um, local relevant research that you're doing for the local community makes its way into the classroom and, and how it actually creates learning opportunities for students. Yeah, definitely. So I'll use my uh, summer macroeconomics class as an example. You know, I'm teaching an introduction to macroeconomics course, and I write these quarterly economic newsletters for Mesa, Montrose, and Delta counties. And uh, they had to get through a couple weeks of the course before they could understand any of the terms, but I've assigned that newsletter to them. Oh, they don't know it yet, but it's going to be assigned very soon uh, (laughs) because it allows them to see how economists actually take all of this stuff that they're learning in the textbook and turn it into a tangible, useful document that businesses and governments and people use. So, um, you know, when I, when I teach econometrics, which is advanced statistics applied to economics and a bunch of other things, uh, I, I have so many of my own data sets that we can actually go through and repeat a lot of my studies that I've published or that I've uh, done for grant work. Um, and that's kind of a cool experience because then I can Google my paper and they see this report and uh, I make them read it, which I'm sure they hate. But uh, And then we can go through and I can walk them through exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's a good experience for students, I think. That's what I love. I mean, that's something, you know, we always tout here at CMU, that students are going to receive that hands-on, real-world experience at an undergraduate level that they may not experience if they were to choose to go to a different college or university. So I love getting to hear actual examples of how that's happening in the classroom. Yeah, well, you know, it's really good to do that. You know, I've seen my teaching change and improve. You start to think differently when you're actually performing tasks in your field. So for me as a professional economist, I think more about why is this useful? What do students really need to know? Uh, How do I approach this differently than maybe 10 or 15 years ago in graduate school when I was just learning about these things? And so... It's definitely changed my approach and the things that I think are important in the classroom. Um, And I think it's, you know, provided a more uh, vibrant and useful experience for the students. Well, Dr. Perry, I don't know if it's possible to get an economist to stop talking about numbers, but I want to talk for a minute about the man behind the numbers. Um, Tell us a little bit about who you are. What are are your interests outside of economics? You've got family in town, and how did you get to Grand Junction? Well, uh, I am from Salt Lake City, born and raised. Um, I, uh, how far do you want me to start? I mean, let me just tell a boring <laughs> All story. All the I mean, way back. I can either, I can either be the numbers. I can either before be the numbers. I can either be boring with numbers, or I can be boring with stories. You got your choice. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Salt Lake City, and uh, I got a scholarship to Westminster College out there and studied economics and philosophy, actually. 
economics and philosophy. Yeah, I have is a that double... kind of rare? Is that a rare combination? I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I really liked philosophy, but I wanted something that, you know, was more quantitative. Also, I kind of wanted to hedge my bets. I wanted to be a clear thinker, but I wanted to, uh, you know, have numbers and graphs kind of behind that thinking. So I did a double major, and then I thought about what I wanted to do next. I was working at American Express doing some accounting stuff and some tech support stuff. And I uh, thought, well, I could do a master's in finance or I could work and do an MBA or, you know, I'm really good at econ. This, these professors seem to have an awesome life. So I, I applied at a few programs and the University of Utah gave me funding at the age of 22. So I, uh, I actually started teaching classes when I was 23 years old. So the first week of classes when I taught my first class was, uh, you know, it was a week before I turned 24. So, and I moved here in my late 20s, uh, basically drew a big circle around Salt Lake City, days driving distance and said, this is where I'm willing to work. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because we have family there and we wanted to, I wanted to pursue this career, but I wanted to maintain my proximity and uh, closeness to them. So I... Uh, it was Mesa State College at the time, and I had a friend who actually went to Western, but his uh, girlfriend was from Grand Junction. He said, oh, Grand Junction, that's that's the St. George of Colorado, you know, St. George, Utah. It's like the mm-hmm. you know, drier but really outdoor activity Beautiful. and warm. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. He says, you're going to love it. You go down there, you're going to love it. And so I had an interview here, and I uh, really liked it, and I've been here since. So, But Grand Junction's better, right? You know, they're di- they're different. It actually, I actually don't good think answer. it was a good comparison. Mm-hmm. I mean, Grand Junction has more of a rural feel, mm-hmm. and basically, St. George is Salt Lake City transplanted somewhere else, and it's just as dense. And you know, it's got all the same city problems. <laughs> the city's out. Grand Junction has all the benefits of more open space. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's a. It was actually a bad comparison, but that's how he sold me on the area. So <laughs> well, lucky for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, you are listening to CMU now on KAFM Community Affairs, and our second guest today is Associate Professor of Economics, Dr. Nathan Perry. So I think often. People think of CMU as a teaching university and not a research institution, which is true. I mean, that's what we focus on is the teacher-scholar method. Um, But you conducted an analysis on behalf of the energy industry that was really a first of its kind and is now a model for others around the nation. Do you think there's more room for faculty research at CMU? And almost how do we balance putting teaching and students first and balance that with the research and the benefits that come to our faculty members and our students from that? Well, I think even at a teaching institution, um, it's important to be conducting research because you need to stay on top of what's new in your field. Mm -hmm. And that's really the point of the teacher-scholar model is, you know, if you stop engaging in your discipline and you just teach for 30 years, by the end of the 30 years, you're going to be very out of touch. And Mm -hmm. so it's important to consistently engage with your profession, either through academic publications, through consulting, through some sort of activity that, uh, you know, qualifies you for your profession. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you get the big research universities where the professors, uh, they don't care about teaching, and you can tell when you attend their courses, and their job is to just publish as much as possible, and their TAs do all the work, and, um, you know, it's, it's a different type of experience. Um, 
I think the teacher scholar model is the right experience for students because you have the emphasis on teaching and so they are getting a good product and they're getting people who care and they're getting professors who are student centric but then you also are requiring some of that publishing and some of that extra activity to keep you on top of your game maybe not as much as at a big research university and uh, you know the pressures change too mm -hmm. some of these big universities uh you know there's so much pressure to publish in these top journals um where you know in economics are just highly mathematical sometimes the people who are publishing the top stuff are not even being useful to society it's just off in math land and, uh, <laughs> and so I like this particular um, spot because there's not that pressure to have these kind of insane publications I can more go for use value does that make sense yep. instead of you know so many people in the top top institutions they have to narrow down to this one little topic that they're an expert at and it just seems so boring to me and here I get to do things like you know I get to work on outdoor rec type studies I get to work on oil and gas studies I get to do whatever is really useful mm -hmm. and it expands my skill set and uh, you know uh, makes me feel like a real economist versus I think a lot of the the, the research institutions where I'm not so sure that some of those guys could be a real economist. Mm -hmm. so. I am too. I mean, you know, I think it's a real big benefit for our community to have professionals like yourself who are living here, working here, and then contributing to our community as a whole. I think, you know, it's a, a really great symbiotic relationship. For sure. And, you know, I want to go back to your philosophy. You see double major economics uh, and philosophy. I want to ask you this question to, uh -oh. to use both of those hats. Okay. So you stare out across the, the landscape in our country today and, and uh, you know, you politics and invective and hyperbole and all these, these things that make having empirical discussions really tough. And I imagine if you're an economics professor, it's hard to keep, you know, the politics out of the discussion. But that's in some ways what you're, you're trying to do, I think, with economics is you're looking at the, the things you can measure. How do you keep politics out of economics? Should you? Or do they, is there a role that they play in, in your, your, your discipline? How does that all work? Well, you know, I think, um, I think it's impossible to keep some politics out because so many economic issues end up being political issues. And so I think you have to approach it as showing the students both sides and being as upfront as possible about uh, the pros and cons of all arguments. And if you start thinking in terms of pros and cons and have students help create pros and cons lists, then you're developing critical thinking and you're not imposing political viewpoints on students. You know, we live in a world where uh, everyone is, you know, sharing their political viewpoints very freely and that's fine, but I just don't think that that's my job. I think it's my job to help students be critical thinkers uh, and to not care what their political views are to also help them to use, you know, as an economist, I want them to not just have general opinions, but also use data to help drive their opinions. And just because you have data doesn't mean you're going to end up with one opinion or another. There's a lot of data points that people have differing opinions on. But the point is, is that you teach them to use tools and data, you use tools in critical thinking, you to apply and to be the best possible thinker and to always consider the other side, even if you have a strong opinion. And so... 
I think that's my personal teaching philosophy, and that's how I handle uh, politics. You know, I've never had any student accuse me of being political in a teaching evaluation, and uh, you know, and I'm very upfront when I talk about topics uh, that that we need to talk about in class. That hey, you know, I'm not trying to impose my viewpoint, but I'm going to give you both arguments here, and so I want you to feel like you can think clearly and freely. You know, that's the academia that I fell in love with is the open debate and discussion and open thoughts. And, you know, I think society's kind of moving towards closed thoughts and, uh, you know, people are afraid to hear the other side. And um, I think that's dangerous for society personally. So I try and try and show both sides, pros and cons, critical think and not impose my viewpoint. I guess that's how I'd summarize that. Great. I think that's a great way to wrap up the yeah, show today. Yeah. So thank you so much again for taking the time out of your day to come and talk with us and kind of let our KFM listeners have a little sneak peek into to what you do here at CMU. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, this was a special edition of CMU Now on KAFM, and normally this segment airs on the second Tuesday of each month on KAFM Community Radio. You can also listen to a podcast of today's show at kafmradio.org. I'm your host, Caitlin Birdsall, along with my co-host, David Ludlam. And we'll be back next month for another edition of CMU Now on the Community Affairs Hour.